My Car Guru, Season 12, Episode 6. Hey folks, Lenny Lawson here, the Car Guru, and I'm going to try to enlighten you and inform you about things to make your car life better. That's what this is all about. I'm sitting here at Gateway Ford in Greenville, Tennessee, right next to Gateway Nissan. I've got them real close. They're actually connected with a service drive. So when I bought this dealership, it was called, well, I'm not going to say what it's called. He might sue me for using his name. No, he wouldn't, but I'm not going to. Uh, it was a Ford dealership, a small Ford dealership in Greenville, Tennessee. They had been very successful. At the time, I was a Chevrolet Mazda dealer and also had a Mitsubishi franchise, which didn't turn out real good. But I uh, thought that I might want to be a Ford dealer. I found out the Ford dealership was for sale. They had Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury. Remember Mercury at the time? And so we were able to work out a deal. So I became a Ford dealer. And then we made a commitment to Ford that we would not stay in that horrible facility that was built in 1959. This was 2007, by the way. No, 2005. And I made a Ford, made a Ford? I made Ford a commitment that I would build them a new store. So we did. And it's, uh, we built it in 2007, moved in, and we were Ford, Lincoln, Mercury, and Mazda. And so, uh, let's see, let, let me, we had to give up Mercury because Ford didn't give us a, a choice. They said, ah, we're de destroying Mercury. We've already destroyed it. Now we're just going to take it off life support. So they paid us money to compensate us. It wasn't much, but they paid us a little bit. And then, let's see, oh yeah, Lincoln came and said, we want you to build us a showroom. And I said, what? Build you a showroom to sell 45 Lincolns a year? I don't think so. And so they offered us a whole bunch. Of, now, this was a pretty sizable chunk to give up the Lincoln franchise. Lincoln tried to eliminate all of their midsize and lower dealers. I'm a midsize dealer. There's a, you know, there are actually Ford stores that sell two or three Fords a month. We sell a whole lot more than that. But, uh, you know, we're, one, we're not one of the big boys that sell, you know, four and 500 a month. So they want us to build a showroom. I said, no, thanks. And they said, well, we'll buy it back. We'll buy the franchise back from you. So they wrote us a big check and we gave it back to them. Now I had some Lincoln customers said, Lenny, what'd you do that for? And I said, because we weren't selling many of them and everyone we sold, we lost money on. And they offered to pay us a bunch of money. So I, I gave it back. Didn't give it back, sold it back. So then I was a Ford dealer and a Mazda dealer. And then Another dealership became available. Now, we, were sell we weren't doing really well with Mazda because Mazda had kind of lost their way. They were struggling. Had the their product line was all messed up. Now, now, Mazda has made a great recovery. They're doing really well right now. But at the time, I had the opportunity to buy a Nissan dealership. And I said, well, let's see. Let me put, put two hands up and wait and see. 40 Nissans a month versus 10 Mazdas. Yeah, I think I'm going to do the, the Nissan. So I called Ford and I said, hey, Ford, um, would you mind me bringing Nissan in to uh, build a new showroom and, and put them in with, with Ford? No, no, you cannot do that. I said, well, why not? They said, because you got to give something up. If you want, it, if you want Nissan, you got to give up Mazda. I said, but I've been a Mazda dealer for 40 years. They said, we don't care. So, you know, I just had to make a business decision. I looked at the numbers, and, and the numbers made sense. So I told Mazda goodbye, 
and got Nissan. Now, quite frankly, I do not take these decisions very lightly. I'm making somewhat light of it just to, for the for the speed of the broadcast. But I struggled with it mightily because of, of the emotional attachment that I had to Mazda. I didn't know that much about, I mean, I knew a lot about Nissan, and I knew what the business prospects were far greater. You know, they just, they have a complete product line, everything from full-size trucks and vans all the way down to, you know, small passenger cars. And not only had a, uh, a full-size truck, but they had a great-selling mid-size truck, which was the Nissan Frontier. So anyway, just a much more diverse product line and and so much more sales in our market area. So I made the, the decision to give up a franchise so that I could get another one. So we built, and well, one of the requirements, just like Ford, one of the requirements of Nissan said, well, you can be a Nissan dealer, but within two years, you have to build us a new showroom a new service drive. We'll let you use the same service department. Oh, you also have to expand your parts department. They can dictate that stuff. If you want to be a dealer, if you want to sell their franchise, you don't buy it. You know, that's been a a, a mistaken idea that a lot of people have is that you pay for a franchise to be a car dealer. And I've said that on that show on this show several times. You don't pay for a franchise in the car business. It's free. They give it to you. They award it to you. But you do have to, to meet their guidelines, which are substantial guidelines, including new facilities. So if you meet their guidelines, they'll award you the franchise. And if you abide by their rules and sell enough of their cars and and uh, you know have a good reputation, then they'll uh, sign a five-year dealer agreement. And then you, they'll evaluate you again. You sign another five-year dealer agreement. In some cases, they have 10 years, but most of them are five-year dealer agreements. So, you know, dealers are forced in one way or another to behave and produce and, and follow their guidelines and, you know, survive their audits that they do, you know, to make sure that you're compliant. That's one of the reasons that I say that, that when you do business with a new car dealer, you're, you're pretty safe. Not only are they, they, I guess, monitored by the Motor Vehicle Commission in the state, um, you know, there's all kinds of lawyers that are looking to sue car dealers when they have an opportunity when, when the car dealer messes up. Also, uh, the manufacturer holds us accountable for customer satisfaction scores, sales numbers, and all that stuff. So most new car dealers are pretty good businessmen. You may have run into one or two that uh, maybe some of the representatives were not real professional. And that's why I created this radio show, is to help protect you, to give you some insight. Now, don't forget there is a podcast that is identical to the radio show, except it's available online. And I've got, I was just looking at it. It's through a company called Buzzsprout. I know it's a weird name. But you can go to uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Amazon Podcast, Spotify. I can't remember some of the others. But anyway, you can go in there and you can download any of the podcasts that I've done for the last two and a half years. There's over probably getting close to 400 podcasts in there covering just about every topic you can imagine. So if you miss one, just go there, and that's where you'll find me. Okay, I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back here in just one minute. Okay, I am back. I had a scary experience the other day in a car that I have spent a whole lot of money on, 1965 Mustang Convertible. It just came out of the restoration shop, and I drove it down to the dealership. It's about four miles from the restoration shop. 
put it in the showroom and just a beautiful car. Everything's great, but it, I needed a few extra things done to it. So once I had the opportunity, I pulled it out of the showroom, jumped in it. If Well, it didn't fire right up. We had to jump it off. But once I jumped it off, it started. Everything's good. I'm going down the road, and I'm pulling down towards the front of the dealership, getting next to the road, and I hit the brakes, and I don't have any brakes. I mean, there was just a very, very little bit. I could pump the brakes and get them to get the vehicle to stop. So that was a little bit disconcerting. Would that be disconcerting for you? Absolutely. Brakes are important. We must be able to stop. And so what I ended up doing is having to turn around, call the the uh, rollback service that we use, and have them you know pay them a hundred dollars to pick it up and drive it across or take it across town. You know, as a car owner, there are some signs that you will receive. Some of them are audible. Sometimes you feel it through the brake pedal. You might feel it through your steering wheel. But all of them reflect on an issue with your brakes. You know, a lot of people forget that when you're driving a car, you're in a massive chunk of steel and glass hurtling through space at 60 miles an hour or faster. You know, if, at that speed, if you suddenly needed to stop your vehicle, it could take approximately the length of a football field to come to a standstill. And that's only if you kept one of the most critical safety systems in your car well-maintained, and that's your brakes. You know, brakes may not be the sexiest part of a car, but they certainly are one of the most crucial. So you need to pay attention to the warning signs that indicate that you need service, and it could mean the difference between life and death on the road. So the obvious signs would be like, well, a brake light appearing on your car's dashboard. Or you could get the feeling that your your car is taking longer to stop than it used to. In either of these cases, you should visit your mechanic or your car dealership or your independent repair shop and get your brakes checked. Here's some of the most critical signs that your brake system needs some attention. One is something that I call the temperamental pedal, brake pedal. Um, you know, sometimes it's mushy. It goes practically to the floor before you get any kind of braking action. Uh, it could be worn pads, worn brake pads, or it could be a problem with the hydraulic system that causes the brakes to, uh, or the brake calipers to squeeze the rotor. Uh, it could be air that has gotten into the line, an air leak or a brake fluid leak. So these are things that you need to check. If you think you have a leak, uh, it's probably leaking at the wheel. You can see brake fluid. If you have a leak that you see is just pretty much right behind your tire, it's brake fluid. And that can definitely cause your brakes to feel mushy if it's leaking brake fluid. And air gets in the system, and that's a problem too. Now, the opposite of a mushy pedal would be where your brakes grab immediately, just as soon as they touch them. Uh, this could indicate that your rotor is either worn or you got dirty brake fluid or contamination of the fluid by moisture. Uh, you can solve this problem with a relatively inexpensive change of fluid that you could do yourself or have your mechanic do. Uh, if stopping the car is like, if it's <laughs> if it feels like Fred Flintstone putting his feet through the bottom of the car to bring it to a halt, you might have a line obstruction or a problem with the vacuum system. There's all kinds of different components in your braking system, and uh, any one of them can cause issues. And so if you have a temperamental pedal, then you need to go to your shop.
Another indication would be like vibrations. If you ever have to execute an emergency stop and when you push your foot on the brakes, you get this pulsation going. Now, if, if it's a really panic stop and you hit your brakes, then that pulsation is normal probably because that's the anti-lock braking system doing what it's supposed to do. Uh, if But if you have a vibrating brake pedal, you probably have warped rotors. That means that more than likely you're going to have to go get your, your wheels pulled off, uh, your rotors pulled off and turned on a brake lathe. Now, that's typically how they do it. Some dealerships use on-the-car brake lathes that they don't have to pull the rotors off. More than likely, you're going to have to replace your pads as well. Uh, sometimes they try to skimp and not replace the pads and just turn the rotors, but uh, I always recommend replacing the brake pads because they're not that expensive. Okay, what else? Oh, pulling. You know, if your car's pulling to one way or the other, this could be an alignment issue. Uh, because your car is out of your front end is out of alignment and, and you just put on your brakes and it you feel it tugging on the steering wheel one direction or another. Can also be a problem with the braking system because it could be something called a stuck caliper. So this scenario would cause the friction on one wheel to be greater than what it is on the other wheel, which causes you know to pull one pull that direction. Two other brake-related scenarios that could cause the wheel to pull could be a collapsed brake hose that could cause the calipers to move unevenly when applying the brakes, or uneven brake pads, which could also apply different amounts of pressure to different wheels. So, you know, it doesn't always indicate a problem with the brakes. Like I said, it could be an alignment issue. It could be that you have, you know, your tire pressures are off significantly, like you have a lot more tire pressure on the left side than you do on the right. So that's why I always recommend that you check your tire pressure at least at least once a month, okay? And if you don't want to have to do that, then just pull into your local dealer. They'll do it. They won't charge anything. Just pull into the service driver and say, hey, would you check the air pressures in my tires? If they charge you something, you need to find another dealer, but most won't. Okay, the fourth indication that you might have a problem with your brakes is that you hear something. You hear a strange sound. And uh, so one of the warning signs is your brakes need servicing, that you need to replace your pads. It comes from a small indicator in your braking system that emits a high-pitched squeal when your pads need replacing. Basically, this little tab is mounted on the brake pad itself, and as the pad wears down, this little tab, this metal tab, gets closer and closer to the rotor. When it comes in contact with the rotor, it starts squealing, and it goes eat eat. Kind of like that. How'd you like that? So uh, it's pr it's probably a lot higher pitch than that, however. I did that in my baritone voice. It's more like a soprano. But it's loud enough to be heard when the windows are up. And it may not be easily heard if you have the stereo turned up real loud all the time. But in addition to a squeal from a sensor, you might also want to listen for a harsh grinding sound. This means that you've gone completely through your brake pads. And now when you apply your brakes, the metal of the calipers, well, it's really the metal off of the backing plate on the brake pad itself, is grinding against the metal of your rotors. Now, metal on metal is not good. It's not good in an engine that loses its lubrication, and it's terrible on brake rotors. It'll eat those brake rotors up. Now, 
Brake pads are a whole lot less expensive to replace than rotors. And if you can get by turning your rotors, it's cheaper than replacing them. Uh, aftermarket rotors are a whole lot cheaper. You might want to get a price if you if they tell you that your rotors are destroyed. They can't be turned. It's because the grooves that were cut in it from the worn-out pad are just way too deep, or they've been turned more than once. So if they say you need, you need rotors, find out what the factory rotors, the OEM rotors, cost that originally came on your vehicle. If they're too expensive, tell them to get a price on the uh, aftermarket rotors. I don't know that there's a difference. I'm an OEM guy. You know, I'm not a metallurgist, and I can't really tell you the difference in composition between rotors from China and rotors from Michigan. But I'm going to go with Michigan. And if I'm, you know, like on an exotic car, Mercedes, Porsche, something like that, I'm going with the factory rotors. I know they're going to be terribly expensive, but that's what I'm going with because I know that they make a difference. Okay, so let's review. Temperamental pedal, it has a mind of its own. It's, it's different. Sometimes you push it, it's mushy. Sometimes you push it, it's hard. Uh, you, you got brake problems. Vibrations when you apply your brake. You know, this can go on for a long time. I've seen people live with that for many years. Sometimes they, they think it's the tires, but it's actually their brake rotors are warped. So that's going to wear your pads out unevenly. It could cause tire issues as well. Also, when you apply your brakes and it pulls one direction or another, check your tire pressures first. Uh, you might want to get an alignment check, but more than likely, well, not more than likely, it's probably your tire pressures, but it, it could be your brakes. So get that checked. Uh, listen for strange sounds. And um, then, you know, basically worn pads is, are the primary cause of a, of a problem with your brakes. When, you know, you just push it down and it, you have to push it down further than you used to, then you probably have worn pads. You know, pads are really easy to inspect from the outside. Now, if you still have drum brakes, not as easy to inspect. You have to pull the wheel to inspect them. But you can get under your car and, and really look at the thickness of your brake pads. But if you don't know what you're looking for, then why waste your time? You'll just get dirty. And I don't rec recommend getting dirty. Now, all of this should be inspected when you get your oil changed. If you're going to a place that's not pulling wheels and, and rotating your tires and checking your brakes and uh, just make, you know, checking overall the underside of your vehicle, everything from your exhaust system, looking for leaks, you know, looking for leaks at the wheel, oil leaks, transmission leaks, rear differential leaks. If they're not looking at those things, then you need to go someplace else where they do that. Because most places, they don't charge anymore to do a full inspection on your car. We call it a multi-point inspection because it they're checking a whole bunch of different things on your car. And it either passes and you get a green check mark or it's, you know, you need to watch it. That's a yellow check mark. Or it's replace it now. That's red. Um, these things do make a difference and can affect the safety of your automobile. Okay, I'll take my last break. I'll be back in just one minute. Okay, just a few tips on identifying fluids on your garage floor. So if you see something near the wheel and it's somewhat clear, it's brake fluid. It's leaking out. If you see something towards the front of the engine and it's red, could be transmission fluid or it could be power steering fluid. Uh, if you see something that's brownish in color underneath your engine, it's oil that's leaking from your engine. 
If it's leaking from the back of the engine between the transmission and the, uh, the actual engine, then it's probably a rear main oil seal. Could be a, just a, a, like an a oil pan gasket that's leaking. You hope it's that because if it's a rear main seal, that's something that you really need to get taken care of. If it's under the transmission and it's red, it's your transmission. If it's under the front of the car, well, it could be you know towards the front of the engine or underneath the radiator. It's coolant. Now, that could be multiple different colors. A lot of cars, it's green. Some cars, it's uh, I saw one the other day that was pink. It was a Toyota Tundra. had pink fluid. Uh, Fords use pink fluid. Well, for, not Fords use orange fluid, I think. You know, so it's going to be towards the front of the engine, either under the water pump or uh, radiator hoses, upper or lower, or the radiator itself. So this is just a quick course in leaks. If you see those on your driveway, there's an issue. Uh, older cars are going to leak more than newer ones. If you see a new car leaking and it's still under warranty, it's covered under warranty. So make sure you get it taken care of uh, before it becomes a really big problem. And just because it's a new car doesn't mean that you don't need to check your oil, especially if it's brand new. I check your oil at 500 miles, and then every 500 miles until it's time for your first oil change, you know, it's a precautionary thing. Uh, new engines can use a little bit of oil at the beginning. So what's normal oil usage on a car? What if what if the dealer told you that, yeah, you're going to use a quarter of oil every thousand miles? Would you be concerned? I would be. You know, if it's going to use a quart of oil between oil changes, I would even be concerned about that. But many of the manufacturers say that's normal operation. Don't worry about it. Well, if it's using a quart between oil changes... You better add a quart. You better keep some oil in your car or in your garage just in case. But if you're not checking your oil, you just don't know. You know, if you show up at the dealership to get your oil changed and you're two quarts low, that's not good. You know, you could actually damage your engine if it gets much below. Well, if it gets to that level or even uh, below that, it's, it's, it could be a disaster. So check your fluids or get somebody, get your neighbor, get that kid next door that, you know, doesn't mind getting his hands dirty and get him to check your oil. Make sure you do it when it's cold on level ground and uh, check your air pressure on your tires when they are cold, not when they're hot. And don't go by what it says on the tires. Go by what it says on the door jam of your car. It'll say, you know, what the tire pressures are supposed to be. Just a few little tips from the guru. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.